coming up next on Contemplate. We've talked a lot about unity, right? A lot about Christ desiring unity for the church. And that when we have unity, when we are one, people believe that God sent Jesus as his son. Unity is so important in the church. And in today's episode, we'll see why there was so much disunity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Here's Pastor David Robinson with today's lesson recorded live at Acts Church. We're in, we're in Acts, and we've been in Acts for a long time. And we have seen this pattern where the apostles of Jesus continue to preach this message. And we've also seen that there's some people who don't like this message very much. And last week we saw that, so we had the death of Stephen, the first martyr, the deacon, um, who was saying this very message that, that I'm talking about, that there's a fall, that there's a redemption, that we need to accept Christ, repent of our sins, turn away, and that we can have life in him. They didn't like that. And as a result, they threw a bunch of rocks at him until he died. Okay, after that, Saul, who will become Paul, we'll get into that later. Saul is so, I mean, he's just viciously, viciously against the church. And he's going and he's, and he's taking men and women and he's binding them up. He's going in their homes, binding them up and putting them in prison. There's a bad persecution coming upon the Christians. And so we saw last week that they dispersed. If you put that map up for me, um, they were, if you see down at the bottom, it says Judea. And right to the right of that, there are three little dots, because I know you can't read it. The one in the middle says Jerusalem. That little dot is where the church has been all this time in Acts. It's where the church has been the whole time. And now as the persecution comes from that dot, we see a dispersion. And the people go out into Judea, and they go into Samaria, which is what Jesus had said the church would do, beginning at Jerusalem, and then into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? So that's what's happening now. The persecution is causing the dispersion of Christians. They go out into these spots, and we saw last week that Philip was in the city in Samaria, and he's preaching Jesus, and that's where we left it. So let's start now in verse 8, 9. If you have your Bible, uh, this would be a good time to grab it, or it will be on the screen. And it says this, but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. He was claiming that he was someone great. He's a self-promoter. Uh, we see some of that in politics and things like that. There are those who, are, who claim that they're someone great. This guy is one of those guys, right? Um, sometimes you see athletes, different people who they, they'll let you know more than anybody how great they are. That's Simon. His heart is to be looked up to by other people and, to, be, and to, to believe that he's great. So he's claiming that he's someone great. You need to understand that about Simon's heart as we walk through this passage. So that's who Simon is, and that's what he believes about himself. That's his personality, okay? Let's read verses 10 and 11. It says, To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So here's what we see here. Magic and sorcery, which we've come to sort of look at as those things aren't real, right? Because we're sciencey, right? Science is the only thing that's real. Um, the simple fact is, is that science and magic 
Um, they split off at a certain point, magic not doing as well with people and science doing better, but magic has been around for millennia. And it was certainly around at this time, and it was certainly practiced regularly, and it still is, by the way. You can go down to the bookstore anywhere, and you'll find all kinds of books with spells and different, and different magical incantations and so on uh, for those who continue to want to practice sorcery and magic. And don't believe that it's not real because it absolutely is. I was reading in my studies uh, about first century at this time in the Greek world, Roman world, uh, I read one of the incantations or part of one of the incantations that sorcerers like Simon would have used. And the beginning of it sounds a lot like what you might hear um, in any kind of a movie or whatever where you've got like a sorcerer or somebody who's over a big pot making the soup and with the eye of Newton, whatever, that kind of thing, right? That's what it sounds like. But then at the end, for the power for the thing to happen, the person calls on, and then there's just this list of names of like 20 demons that they call on to make this stuff happen. And I would have read it to you, but it freaked me out. Um, It was, you know, and it was like, that's what they were doing. And it's no different now. It's no different now. There are two powers in the universe. There's a real power, and there's a nothing, a counterfeit power, the power of Satan. Simon was using that one. So he was able to do some things that astonished or amazed some people. So they thought that he was this basically like an angel, like he's this great power from God, right? That's what these people think about Simon because he's doing these, what I would call counterfeit power. There's power. Satan's got power. Don't kid yourself. But God's power is obviously much greater. But that's that's what's going on with sorcery. And for those of you who are tempted to mess around with that type of thing, you might want to be careful, okay? Because as we read last week, last week we read about the people. It said uh, when Philip was there, he was doing these miracles. And one of them was this. He said, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. So we see that in this area, we have many who are possessed with unclean spirits. Go figure when you have someone like Simon the sorcerer, who's very prominent, constantly calling on demonic forces to come and do stuff, okay? If you invite it, don't be surprised when you get it, okay? That's that's the deal. Demons are all too happy to come and oppress or possess you. You think that's all a joke and whatever? Um... Don't, don't mess with it. That's all I can tell you. They did, and this is what happened. There was all kinds of unclean spirits, and this kind of stuff was practiced. We don't see it as much, as commonly right now, and so we think it doesn't exist. But you can go to many places in the world and see plenty of it. I don't recommend doing that unless the Lord calls you to one of those places as a missionary. But don't believe that because we don't see it a lot in America that it doesn't happen. And by the way, it is here too. Um, and you may, you may see it. So... Let's read the next verse here, verse 12. And it says this, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So apparently, when Philip comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, people are convinced it's the things that he's saying about the kingdom of God are verified by what we read earlier, these miracles that are done. These demons that Simon calls on, the power of Jesus Christ can cast them out so they can see who's stronger, right? 
and they see and they believe and they get baptized, which is what we do as believers when we come to believe in and follow Christ. We get baptized. We're called to do that as a profession, a confession, a public showing of our faith in Christ, of our following him, that we've gone from death to life, right? That we've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do that to show those around us, our family, our friends, our church, our community, that we are followers of Christ. That's why we do it. That's why they did it. So we have these people, they've been baptized because they believed what Philip said, which was confirmed by the Holy Spirit through the miracles that, that, that Philip had done. It says, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So Simon believes. Now, the interesting thing here is we see the same word, Greek word, being used for Simon's belief as we see being used for the belief of the Samaritans. Um, we see the same word there, okay, in Greek. It's also the same word in James, in the book of James, where it says that the demons believe and tremble, okay? So belief is not belief is not belief. In other words, there's a belief that leads to life. There's a belief that leads to salvation, and there's a belief that leads to fear, right? And, and you can say, I know, that there's, I know that Jesus is there. I know that Jesus is God. I know that he rose again. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe that he can save people from their sins and whatever. That doesn't mean that you have yourself accepted those realities in your own life, right? And so we'll have to sort of do our best to see what Simon's belief was as we move forward here. But we do know this. He was amazed at the miracles, the signs that were done by Philip. He himself being able to do certain things through the power probably of demonic forces, then seeing instead of the counterfeit, the real power of God, and he's amazed, right? He's amazed at what real power looks like. So he sort of hooks up and connects himself with uh, Philip. Okay, let's get into the next verse here, verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So we remember that the apostles had stayed in Jerusalem. We talked about this dispersion of people, the persecution of the church, but the apostles, there were 12 apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't leave yet. And so what's happened here is that the other folks that have gone out and, and, these, and they're hearing, they're sending word back, and the apostles are hearing, hey, these people in Samaria, these people have come to follow Jesus. And as a result of, of that, Peter and John say, oh, well, we need to go check this out. Let's not forget, the Jews, the Samaritans, do not like each other. And I mean that in not a mild way. They there are, there's just no commerce between these two peoples. They cannot stand one another. You'll remember the Samaritans made a temple at Mount Gerizim. The, the Jews had their temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the Samaritans rejected everything but the first five books of the Old Testament. There were all these things, okay? The, the Jews considered them half-breeds. They considered them just like Gentiles. They were unclean. So when word comes back to the apostles, these Hebrew apostles, that the Samaritans have come to know the Lord, they're probably a little bit at least skeptical. Okay, because they don't like these people. 
They don't like these people. Now, it's possible that Peter and John, having been through Samaria with the Lord um, on his way through there, maybe had a little bit different view. But generally speaking, these are pretty deep prejudices probably, okay? So we see Peter and John, and they go as a result of hearing that these folks have come to the Lord. And let's look at the next couple of verses there. Verse 15 through 17. It says, Who, when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So uh, we have an interesting uh, set of events here uh, that that's, can be difficult. Okay? You remember at Pentecost that the Lord... Jesus left and said, look, i got to go so the Holy Spirit can come. At Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit fall on the believers. There's 120 believers, right? And the Holy Spirit falls, and people are speaking in tongues and speaking in the languages of all these people who were from all over the place. And they, and they hear the Lord being glorified in, in the languages that these people, these Galilean you know, folks from you know, Amboy or whatever, these folks from, <laughs> from the outskirts, are all of a sudden speaking perfectly in, in all these different languages, and they're like, whoa, what's going on here? This was a sign that the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, right? We see that. We see the Holy Spirit there. And then we see this where the Samaritans believe and are even baptized, but the Holy Spirit has not fallen on them yet. In a couple of chapters, we'll read about the first Gentiles who come to the Lord. And as Peter preaches and they believe, immediately the Holy Spirit falls before they're even baptized. And so we've got this kind of thing like, when's the Holy Spirit, when does he come? When does he come? Um, it's a complicated theological thing. Well, I don't think it's that complicated, but let's just say we have this wonderful way of complicating things. And so we've done that as Christians over the years, trying to figure this out, okay? When does the Holy Spirit come? Let me tell you a few views, okay, that exist out there. There are a lot of people who believe that the Holy Spirit um, falls on you at the moment that you believe, okay? And the, the moment of salvation is also the moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are those who see the Holy Spirit as coming on you at some later time, okay? There are a number of traditions that say uh, you're saved, but then there's an interval of time, maybe, maybe and maybe not, depending on the person, but there can be an interval of time, then the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There are those who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that can come upon you multiple times. So it's something that actually gives you power in a moment, like when we see them say things like, and Peter being full of the Holy Spirit, you know, preached this to them, that the idea was is that Peter had the Holy Spirit, but he was actually given more of the Holy Spirit in this moment to do this thing. Okay, I'm not going to get into uh, which way I, I go on this today because it's complicated and you don't want to be here forever. So I'm not going to go into all of that today. But, but in this instance, in this particular instance, let's be careful about the way we read Scripture. Okay, And part of what we do here is we learn how to read this book. This is a book for grown-ups. It's a tough book. Part of the thing we do, it's very long, right? There's a lot of pages in here, and they're all thin, and the words can be really small. And some of you are like, dude, we've been through like four pages in a year. How are we ever going to get through this? We'll see, okay? Or I'm working on it, okay? I'm still pretty young. We may get there. Some of you, not so much. But hey, hopefully, <laughs> I'll double up for you guys. Um, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We got to use scripture to interpret scripture. 
We have to understand the whole counsel of God within Scripture to understand what's going on. And so we cannot take one instance and create theology over a single instance, especially when there are, I wouldn't say counter instances, but other instances where different things happen. So in, in, when we're trying to think of what is normative or what normally happens or what the believer can normally expect, we can't just take one instance out of context and say, this is the way it happens, right? And so let's look at some reasons why it may have happened this way in this instance. Let's not forget that the church is beginning. This is the beginning of the church going out, okay? We have the apostles at the first moment where the, where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, right? Now, the, now that's the church of Jerusalem. We've seen the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there, no question about it. We know that Stephen, who was stoned, was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We, we know that the Holy Spirit's there, the church in Jerusalem. Now they go out into, into Samaria, and we see them coming to follow Jesus, but not having the Holy Spirit until the apostles come to them. Now, there are a lot of folks who have written on this topic or on this passage who basically would say this, that say that there's a couple reasons. Um, the first one is we have a, a natural divide between the Samaritans and the Jews, okay? And when Philip, who we talked about what a Hellenistic Jew was, as opposed to a Hebraic Jew, the Hellenistic Jews, they spoke Greek as their first language. They were from places other than Jerusalem, and they had come to live in Jerusalem, but they had lived somewhere else and spoke Greek as their first language and were more open maybe to uh, different cultures because they would have lived in one. As were the Hebraic Jews, they're in Jerusalem, right? They're the, they live in, in Israel, and so they have maybe a more natural dislike for the Samaritans, right? So as Philip goes there, and they get, uh, they, they learn about Jesus, and they become Christians. If nothing else happens, if nothing else happens, the, the folks in Jerusalem may not believe that these guys are really Christians, because it wasn't their natural inclination to think highly of Samaritans. So you see John and Peter coming, and when they come, they lay hands, and the folks get the Holy Spirit, which is evidence that the Holy Spirit has, in fact, fallen on these people too, that these people are also followers of Christ, and that God is not putting one above the other, that the, these Samaritans who follow Christ are equal with the Jewish believers and should be brought into the family as brothers and sisters with the Jewish believers, okay? That's one, that's one reason. Okay, so we see the evidence to the Hebrew Christians who then go back to Jerusalem and confirm to other people that, yes, the Lord has come to the Samaritans also. The Holy Spirit has fallen them. We've seen the evidence. It's been evidence that the Lord is with them. So that, so that confirms to those in Jerusalem. And by having the folks from Jerusalem come to Samaria and lay hands on these folks, it creates unity within the church so that we don't have, again, the Samaritans saying, well, we're Christians over here, and you're Christians over there. And you guys do your thing, and we do our thing. That's what had been going on for all this time. They had their temple at Mount Gerizim. These guys have their temple in Jerusalem. They, don't, they think that they should worship here. They think you should worship here, and you have this division. We don't want that in Christianity. We've talked a lot about unity, right? A lot about Christ desiring unity for the church. And that when we have unity, when we are one, people believe that God sent Jesus as his son. And when we are not one, it's, it's implied that people don't believe it or they have reason not to believe it. And so we want oneness. So having them come creates oneness. There's also 
the fact that Peter was sort of specifically, um, Peter and the, and, and the disciples also, Peter was sort of specifically uh, told to sort of care for the church, right? And we know that the disciples kind of given the, the keys to the kingdom, let's say, okay? So they're the, they're the beginning. Christ is starting his church through them. And we see the apostles at each moment of the, of the gospel moving forward. We see them there at Pentecost. We see them there in this, in this position in Samaria. And then in two chapters, we'll see Peter there again. In each case, he's there when the Holy Spirit comes. Um, I don't, you know, all of those are possible reasons why we see these different um, ways that the Holy Spirit falls on folks. They do not necessarily give us a comprehensive theology about when the Holy Spirit falls. Okay, I know that's complicated, um, but we will hit that as far as we'll go with that part today, and we'll keep going on. Okay, next verses. We're in number 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered the money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You'll want to be sure and listen to our next episode and learn what happened when Simon offered the apostles money. Let me remind you that you can hear Pastor David in person every Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, and we would love to have you come visit us anytime. Get directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call us at 360-885-9000. Hope to see you this Sunday. Thanks for listening, and we'll look for you again next time here on Contemplate.